There we go. All right, let's try that again. <laughs> Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, it being truth and life, for it sustaining our souls, for you teaching us from your word and instructing us from your word, for you revealing yourself to us in your word that we might worship you in a way that is pleasing and in a way that is life-giving for us. We pray that you would uh, help us now and that you would help me in the preaching of your word. And we pray it all uh, for Jesus' sake. Amen. If you'd like to join me in Nehemiah chapter 9, we're going to go ahead and be reading from there. Israel's back in Jerusalem after their captivity in Babylon. And what we see going on in Nehemiah 9 is that the Levites are leading them in a good old-fashioned revival. They're leading the people in, in prayer. They're getting back to that old-school religion. Really old-school, ancient school, you might say. They're leading them way back to the words, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. They're leading a renewal of the covenant, and so they're leading the people in prayer. They're telling of God's creating and ruling over everything, of his promises to the man that he renamed Abraham. They extol and glorify his smiting Egypt with his wonders and leading their fathers out of slavery there, and giving to them the law. Those of us who are blessed to be part of the Sunday uh, service ministry and, and uh, those that are familiar with the liturgy recognize what this is. It's a prayer of praise. We come to, to verse 15 when we read, You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. And you told them to go in and possess the land that you had sworn to give them. Sounds good. We're, we're right on track with a, a prayer of thanksgiving. And we keep going to 16. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. And so now we've uh, taken a detour into a, a prayer of confession and repentance territory. So the Levites there... Uh, the Lord's chosen priests, they ministered to him on behalf of the people. They stood as their representatives before the Lord. They watched over his worship in the temple. And on occasions such as this, they taught the people to understand the law and the meaning of their relationship and their history with the Lord. And we see that all of this takes place in the form of a prayer addressed to the Lord on behalf of the people. They've repatriated back to Jerusalem and rebuilt, and now it's time to renew their covenant with the Levites leading the way in prayer. And what we see is a wonderful example of what blessing corporate prayer is. It glorifies God in the coming together of his people as one man to worship him. But it's also an occasion for teaching, which we see the Levites doing here. So let's take a look at their prayer and see uh, what we might learn from it for ourselves. Number one, the, 
The whole chapter is a prayer of praise and thanksgiving and confession. And it's also a rehearsal of salvation history. The Levites are going back into history to help the people to remember who the Lord is and what he has done. The regulative principle, uh, which we uh, believe in, says that only what Scripture specifically approves of is to be used for public worship. And we see it here as uh, being a scriptural practice. Not just in that it's commanded, but we see that the Levites are demonstrating it and doing it here. They're praying scripture. Starting with Genesis, they're praising God and reminding people who he is and what his history with their nation is. It's easy to forget sometimes that uh, back in Nehemiah's day, they relied on the same thing that we do for learning about the Lord and his covenants and faithfulness. They read scripture. All of the great revival passages uh, in scripture depict a, a kind of back-to-the-Bible spirit. They, they weren't there for the Exodus any more than we were. It was hundreds of years ago. And so when the people have gone astray, have given in to idolatry, have given unacceptable worship or grown to have an unworthy notion of who God was, it was always to the law and the prophets to teach a new generation. It's always when the unique nature of Scripture is elevated that the people of God grow to a place of greater faith and repentance. And so the Levites teach the people with the, the story of the Exodus and our verse is focused on their time in the wilderness and the giving of the manna. And so we also read in our text that the children of Israel formerly acted presumptuously at the many great and gracious blessings of the Lord. The Lord gave them manna and they, they sneered at it. He had Moses give them water from a rock. They rebelled against him. He gave the land which was promised to their father Abraham, and they defiled it with their sin until they were at last kicked out of it. It was like the expulsion from the garden all over again. Get out of my land, says the Lord. They presumed upon the graces of the Lord. They had some presupposed assumptions about what the nature of their relationship with him was. We are Abraham's children, they supposed. What else is the Lord doing but what he owes us? He promised to bless Abraham, didn't he? Well, that man sure is neat, but how about some quail, God? After all, didn't we have all-you-can-eat Egyptian barbecue? Can't this Moses do better than Pharaoh and his gods? Israel was God's special and chosen people, but they were mistaken if they thought that that meant that he was somehow beholden to them. They were acting like spoiled children kicking and screaming for candy in the grocery store. They were like one of those kids you, you hear about who uh, are carrying out a lawsuit against their parents for not getting them uh, the, the latest PlayStation or something like that. You know, they didn't ask to be born. At least their parents can uh, make life a little worthwhile. And the Levites are warning Israel from Scripture, don't do that. 
Don't act like God owes you anything. He created the heavens and the earth and for his own glory has sworn to bless the world through Abraham. You exist to serve and worship him and not the other way around. God owes you nothing. Not only, uh, not all of those who were delivered out of Egypt besides or entered into the land or returned home from Babylon were in fact Israel, but only God's remnant uh, among the people. God had an elect nation within that visible body which were, her, which were his, a people who feared and trembled before him in obedience, just as Abraham did. And it's the same with the church today. Do not presume upon the graces of God as though you were doing him a favor by showing up on Sundays. So now he owes you a solid if you shout out a help in a moment of desperation. Don't presume that uh, you are his if you find that you have no taste for the things that he's given to sustain his people, his word, or prayer, Christian fellowship. No obedience to the things he's commanded. Or if you find even the notion of obedience to be terribly burdensome or stifling to your preferences or cramping your style. Even if you truly do love him and have your faith in Christ, don't presume that his priorities are going to be yours or that they won't be difficult or painful. God's priority is to make you holy to bring you safely through the wilderness. He's given a better shepherd than Moses. Christ is himself now the sustainer of your life, but it is still going to be a long, arduous journey, and there are many things that you used to enjoy in the world that you're going to have to learn to, to forget about, which only serve to spoil your appetite and your longing for Christ. Number three, the, the result of the continued despising of the gracious means that the Lord had given to Israel was that their necks grew stiff. They got more obstinate. Their hearts hardened more. They became more indifferent towards God. One of the striking things about the book of Judges is how increasingly separate from God the people become as they settle in the land. They call on him less and less. And he answers them less and with less clarity and, or with single word answers. It becomes like a cold, dead marriage. I guess, uh, I guess we're stuck together, so let's at least keep up appearances, but... You don't mind if I go spend some time with Baal, right? And in the kingdom period, it, it becomes even worse. The high places, Baal worship in the temple. Kings of Israel calling on the king of Assyria to defend him. I am your son and your servant. Deliver me from Elam and the king of Judah. Cultic prostitution. The people became utterly pagan in their beliefs and practices and didn't notice or have a single care. We also have 
these high water marks, like Elijah's throwdown on Mount Carmel, or Josiah's recovering the law and his reformations. But oh, how quickly Israel leaves off their repentance and their love for God for a love of the world and his desire for being just like the world. We get a a bleak picture of Israel as a little microcosm of the world and humanity as a whole. But we also learn throughout Scripture that there is always a faithful remnant. We can therefore reason that these gracious works of the Lord, though despised and hated by many, do in fact bless those who receive them and cherish them, the people Even still, uh, despite all that, God has delivered them time and time again for the sake of those who loved him and received his good gifts. Even now, the Levites are reminding the people of Israel of all of this and telling them to be faithful to God. Don't despise this work that he's doing for us in bringing us back home. Let's get it right this time. So take care that you do not find yourself in the position of being stiff-necked and hard-hearted towards the things of God while you fool yourself into thinking that all is well because you enjoy some of the corporate kindnesses Christ shows to his church. Friendship, community, a helping hand uh, when you need to move, or people to tend to you or bring you food when you're sick. These are all fine things. <laughs> But Christ has even more to offer by receiving his word, his testimony, and his atoning sacrifice. He has an abundance of life to pour into those who do not despise the means of preaching, prayer, corporate worship, and Christian relationships with the intention of growing in sanctification and discipleship. So in closing, we... You see that the Levites here are instructing the people of God with the word of God. They remind them with their own history with him that he has promised to bless Israel and has done many things to show his pledge to them. And they warn them, do not despise the promises and the blessings of the Lord. We, living on this side of the cross as priests of a new and a better covenant, have the privilege of a similar ministry And may the Lord help us to exhort one another to a joyful submission to the good pleasure of Christ and to not despise being joined with him in his yoke, to trust him to sustain us, to save our lives in the wilderness of this world, even if we don't necessarily like the route he's leading us or the manna he feeds us with. He is bringing us to a promised land not built by human hands. So may we follow the Levites' uh, encouragement and their model and um, their correcting and edifying one another from Scripture that we may all obey the Lord and find life in Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this Sabbath day. We thank you for the great blessing of coming into your house and being fed from your word. We thank you for the joy of fellowship together and for 
uh, being able to worship you together. We pray that you would bless us through uh, what we've heard today. We pray that you would uh, have us to continue praying for one another as the week progresses. We pray that you would make Christ all the more precious to us and that you would increase our appetite for him. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.